Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going to dive straight in. We're reading, you're working your way through two kings. Uh, or, or a part of it, so we're just going to hit the ground running. So if you've got your Bibles, go to 2 Kings 13, we'll start at verse 14, and we're, we're going to read the whole uh, passage, uh, and then we will, we will get into it. Cool, it says, Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw that bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hand on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said to the Lord's, and he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha then died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. And the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel in the days of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned towards them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Wow, this is a brilliant story. In fact, this is about three brilliant stories, and there is a lot going on here. Um, But I think this morning, this is a call to renewal, actually, a call uh, for God's people to return to him. Uh, And this particular story comes a, a long way into the history of God's people. They'd had numbers of kings that the kingdom has divided into two. There is Israel and there is Judah. And since they have split apart, both of them really, if they were honest, have struggled a little bit. They have slowly but surely lost the power and prestige they had of King David and then Solomon. Their influence in the region has slowly disappeared. The prestige and honor that they had has slowly disappeared. In Solomon's day, kings and queens would visit just to see how amazing the place was, and that had stopped happening. They'd also descended into the worship of idols. They had rebelled against the living God. They were living in sin, so they were ignoring the law of God, the way that God wanted them to behave, to treat each other, to look after each other, to worship him. They were ignoring that law. They were also ignoring the presence of God himself, of of being with God. They were ignoring that as well. And Judah, actually, over its history, had had a few good kings. They'd had the occasional blip of a good king who had tried to restore the people uh, back to God's. 
But Israel, who we're with this morning with King Joash, they had had no good kings at all. It was one bad king after another. And actually, if you were to do the School of Theology, Tom, who did that notice, he did this section in the School of Theology, and he has his notes, and he lists all the kings of Israel and Judah, and he kind of scores them, this is very Tom, from good to quite good to bad to very bad. Uh, and Israel's list was bad with the occasional very bad. This is not a good group of kings. And they all led the people away from the living God, led them into worship of idols, led them out of the law, led them out of the presence of God. And we have been reading about a few prophets. So we've been looking at Elijah and Elisha. And their job, their call in this story, and as we read about them in Kings, actually is to call people back to worship God. To call people back into the presence of God, back into the law of God, back into living the way that God intended them to be. And they worked miracles, they healed the sick, they fed the poor, they had these very powerful prophetic words. And this was all done from a place of being desperate for renewal desperate to see the people of God return to him. Desperate for God's people to repent, very simply to say, actually, we don't want to live the way we have been living. We're going to live as God wanted us to. We're going to turn our lives back to God's. We're going to actually take up our true purpose as God people, God's people to be his image in creation, to be God's representative in creation, to be God's people in creation. And yet, regardless of uh, their incredibly powerful ministry, the amazing things that they did, that they said that God had them do, actually not very much changes. There's glimmers of hope in Judah. Like we say, there are a few good kings here and there, but really, it's a mess. God's people are in a right state. And we're drawing now to the end of this prophet's ministry. Possibly the, the two most powerful prophets um, in the history of Israel, definitely since Samuel. And Elisha is approaching death and actually will soon disappear from the story. The, the call for renewal to return back to God will soon begin to disappear from the story. There'll be other prophets, but nothing on the level of these two. So in this story, this last kind of snapshot of Elisha's life, actually we see a last call to renewal, a last call to go back to God's, a last call for relationship to be fixed, to live for God's and nothing else. And actually, as we read this story, there is no great formula here. So it was interesting, on Friday night, I had a youth barbecue around my house, which means I cook the food, then I hide while the youth workers talk to the youth. That's usually how it works. And they charge around in circles and fight each other. That's what youth barbecues are about. Uh, But I got a phone call, and it was my friend Liam. He phones me up and says, Tim, the worship band are practicing. We're reading this passage. What songs do you want us to pick? Because we have got no idea. And I said, just songs about how God's good. That's a good start, isn't it? And there is actually no great formula to this passage. This is a painful story, and we need to read it in those ways. It's a painful story that actually shows the desperation of God. Desperation of God to know his people, to look after them, to know that they are faithful to him, and that he is faithful to them, and to restore their relationship. So how does does this kind of play out? How do we 
see God's people renewed? What does Elijah kind of hint at? And what is God trying to tell us in this story? Well, firstly, this is about a renewed perspective, a renewed imagination, almost, a way of describing it. And we meet this king, King Joash, and he has one line in this whole story. He has one thing he gets to say. He is the king, but clearly he is not the most important person in this story. And actually, this one sentence that he says tells us actually quite a lot about him. Now, what do we know about this king? Well, we know that he does evil in the sight of the Lord. That is how he's described. And, and some of the kings, they get quite a lot of narrative. And a few of them are like, they did bad then they died. And, and this one gets a little bit more than that, but not very much. He does evil in the sight of the lords, which means he worships idols. He's the next in a long list of bad kings. He worships the gods of the world, the gods of Israel's neighbors that God had said, do not worship these. He went and worshiped them. They made gods of stone, of woods, of metal. They worshiped these gods. And he leads Israel into this as well. It's not just him uh, personally and privately, actually he takes the whole people with him in this and he carries that on. He looks to gods that are dead. So they are blind, they are deaf and they are mute. They are not living. They are lumps of rock or wood. They are dead gods. And we see very little of his life, but he appears at the end of Elisha's life and he is upset describes him as weeping as he approaches Elisha. And he's, he cries out this phrase. It's quite an unusual phrase. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now, is he, is he sad that he's about to lose his friend Elisha? I, I can't imagine that he is particularly. I can't imagine that he would have spent much time with Elisha because Elisha would have uh, quite clearly explained to him that he was worshipping idols. So I'd imagine they didn't see very much of each other. But he calls Elisha his father. And he calls him as well. And this is a very odd name. He says, you are the chariots and horsemen of Israel. That's the name that he calls him. Well, why, why call him that? It's a very unusual name. Well, I think what we're seeing here is a couple of things. We're seeing Joash's view of the situation. He is a short-term thinker. He is actually a very selfish thinker. He is reflecting on the fact that Israel's military, its army, has been decimated by Syria. They have recently been in another fight with Syria, and they have lost quite spectacularly. And he is looking at his army, what is left of it, particularly the chariots and horses, which were massively reduced, and he is somewhat in a panic. He is not looking at Elisha's love for God's. He's not looking at the call to return to God's. Joash sees Elisha for the help he thinks he can get with his military. That is all he is seeing. It's a very short-term picture. But we are meant to see something else as we read this story. Now, when uh, Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, when he, when he died, Elisha actually calls him something. He cries out, to Elijah as Elijah goes. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He says exactly the same thing. Now, if we know our story, we know that Elijah doesn't exactly die. He gets put on a flaming chariot drawn by flaming horses and taken to heaven, which is quite the way to go. And that is what Elijah is, is seeing. But also there's another story as well, a bit later on in Kings, 2 Kings 6, where Elisha 
prays that God will reveal something to his servants. And it's immediately before a battle and the servant is scared. And Elisha prays, God, would you reveal to this servant uh, what you see here? Your resources, your army, not just the human ones. And in that moment, the servant sees what Elisha sees, which is flaming chariots and horses. So we see two worldviews here, two perspectives, two kind of imaginations. There's Joash, which is faithless, which worships gods that are deaf, mute, and blind, and has a very selfish worldview. He can only see what is physically right in front of him. Then we see Elijah, full of faith, seeing the work of God. He sees what God sees. And in this moment, there is a call to a renewal in perspective, in imagination, to look at a situation and ask God what he sees not what we see. And actually, you you might think, gosh, this is very great. How am I going to be like Elisha the prophet? I mean, this guy was quite something, but he was just a human. He was just a man. And actually, it's not complicated, really. Wouldn't have been complicated for Joash. It just needs obedience to say, God, what do you see? And to ask that regularly, Lord God, what do you see? Just this week, we had our... um, we have a prayer meeting once a month on a Friday just for our, our staff and some of our volunteers that are around a bit. And we get together and um, we just worship and pray without really very much agenda. And uh, this particular time, uh, both Ian and Tom, so Ian Watson, who does all our graphics and design, and Tom, who you will know, uh, both just felt God talking to them about our Fallowfield site and had pictures and were seeing things as God saw them. Now, if we were to walk up the, the high street of Fallowfield, we would see, well, we'd see a lot of pizza boxes. Uh, you might see a few students looking worse for wear in term time. Uh, you might see that and think, gosh, this place is a long way from God's. But God sees something very different. And then we prayed about many of the other sites, and the sense was the same. Actually, God looks at our city and sees things that we don't see. Perspective is to be renewed. And then also we move the story forward. Perspective is renewed, but faith is renewed as well. And we see this quite unusual encounter, an unusual kind of conversation that happens. So Joash has has gone to the prophet. Now we're giving him a pretty hard time. Joash, he he worshipped idols. He was in Tom's list of bad kings, which I'm sure kept him awake at night. But we should acknowledge that he is actually going to the prophet at this moment. He is going to the man of God. He is slightly acknowledging that when you talk to this guy, stuff seems to happen. When you talk to the rock and the lump of wood, not very much seems to happen. There is a hint of faith there that actually there is something real and active going on here. And he goes to uh, Elisha. But his reaction to the instructions that he is given are somewhat half hearted, aren't they? He says, Look, take the arrows. And, fire, and strike the ground. Okay, that's the interesting one. Strike the ground with them. And that's all Elisha says, just strike the ground. It's an, an act of faith. And, and his reaction to this instruction is somewhat half-hearted. And you can almost feel his embarrassment here. It's like taking the arrows going, you want me to, to strike the ground? I will strike the ground, but three times, and then it's awkward, frankly. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. There is some discomfort there. Embarrassment, even. And also, he, he shot the arrow as well, slightly earlier in the conversation. Uh, and that was to symbolize this great victory 
over the Syrians. But as he did that, actually, Elisha is really talking him through it step by step. Take the arrow, pull the arrow, open the window, puts his hands on him to help him shoot it. I mean, it's really very knucklehead. Guided the shot, really talked him through it. And this next prophetic action where he's tapping the ground, Joash is on his own. Elijah really scales back the instructions, says, just strike the grounds. Actually reveals what's going on in Joash's heart in that moment. He gives up really very quickly on a very simple task. There is no desire actually to push into God's. No desire to be in the discomfort of what it means to follow God's. No desire to push through the embarrassment of someone watching you and you perhaps getting it wrong. And actually, this is a picture of Israel's faith at that moment. Picture of the people of God's running from discomfort. And actually, if we were to read all of Israel's history from the moment they left Egypt, we would see that again and again, a hatred of discomfort. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually hate discomfort as well. I don't, I don't like being uncomfortable. And uh, I was remembering when I wrote this uh, the first few years of church planting in Manchester, in Fallowfields. And uh, it was without doubt some brilliant times. But also there are some memories I've kind of, I've left to the side that are excruciating. Uh, there, it wasn't easy, primarily because I was not as good at it as I thought I was. That's always a, that's always a quite revealing moment when you turn up thinking, I'm here to save you. And then you realize, no, I'm not. This is not <laughs> going as well as I thought it was. And uh, I remember going through that, particularly the first year, and remember praying with someone. And they said to me, Tim, uh, it was a friend of mine from another church, said, you want to see God move, but you don't want to be uncomfortable. And as we read this story, I think we're meant to see, I'm a tiny bit Joash. I like it when God fights the battles, when actually he gives me step-by-step instruction. His hand is on my hand as I pull back the arrow, but really... I'd rather not have to use too much faith or be in too much discomfort if I can avoid it. We see that Israel needs a renewal of perspective, their imagination to be restored, to say, God, what do you see? Not, oh, this is what I can see. It's very dangerous. God, what do you see? And a renewal of faith as well, actually, to push through that discomfort. And then Elisha dies. And the, the writer, whoever writes this particular story, then throws in two quick stories to illustrate, to hint how the people of God will in fact be renewed. And they will firstly be renewed by words and by presence. Okay, so Elisha dies and the land at this moment is in chaos. Uh, and they t- there's just this throwaway line that says, now bands of Moabites used to roam through the land in the spring of the year. And it's not like they were tourists coming to look around Israel because they thought it was nice. They were there to steal, to kill, to destroy, to enslave. That's what they were doing. The people of God's were on their knees. The borders didn't work anymore. As a society, they were v- struggling to exist in any level. And the prophet is gone. The man of God is gone. He is dead. Chaos is coming to them. And his bones most likely are in a cave. That's what we, as we read it, that's what we think. And so you can kind of picture the scene. Someone has died. 
perhaps of old age or whatever, and they're, they're doing the funeral, and that's very important how you deal with a dead body to make sure it's clean and that you don't become unclean from it. So there's lots of ritual stuff that is involved in that. And yet suddenly they see a band of Moabites, they just panic, they grab it, they chuck it in a cave. That's what they do with the body, and then who knows what happens. But as the body is thrown into the cave in this moment of panic, as things are not going well, we see actually this body, again, is another picture of God's people. A picture of us, actually, without God's. Dead, unclean, and hopeless. So why does this body come back to life? Is Elijah somehow in the Marvel universe? Does he somehow have these superpowers that just go on forever? Is what happens here? Why does that? It's a very unusual thing. When Elisha was alive, he was a source of life in Israel. Actually, if we read his story, we see that the sick were healed around him. We see that he raised the dead. We see that he was a prophet who spoke the word of God. He lived in the presence of God. He was a source of life to this nation, to this people group. And what the writer is saying is saying, we need to get back to the word of God. The presence of God. Merely touching it, coming close, brings this body back to life, brings us back to life. We are like a dead uh, corpse thrown into a cave, but when we come into the presence of God, we are brought back to life. We're not dirty anymore, we're clean. We're not dead anymore, we're alive. We're not hopeless anymore, we have hope. We are renewed. When we know God's words, seek his presence. That's the way back for God's people. So perhaps this morning, who knows what's going on in life. You may not feel like Moabites are invading the land, but you may feel the pressure of life. You may feel that there is difficulty at the moment. You may feel that there is things pushing in on you which bring you chaos. You may feel distant from God even. Perhaps even you find yourself walking away from God's. And what do we need in those moments? We need the words and the presence of God. But actually, we don't finish there with that because Elisha's story actually is very limited, if we think about it. This body comes back to life that happens to hit Elisha's bones. But Elisha stays dead, very much dead, stays in the grave. Actually, he is soon to be forgotten in Israel. His ministry doesn't really make very much difference doesn't really change uh, the direction of Israel. doesn't really bring, bring the people back to God's. The kings after him remain awful. They keep worshipping other gods. The, the people keep worshipping other gods. But this little story points us towards something much better than Elisha. It points us to Jesus. He, Jesus is a prophet as well. But he's also the king. And he's also God's. Jesus is the words and presence of God. So he goes into the grave like Elisha did, but actually he walks out of the grave. That's how he brings life to us. We don't get thrown onto the dead body of Jesus. We walk into the presence of the living gods. He beats the grave. So when we go to the crucified Jesus, he brings us life. He cleans us. He gives us hope because... He beats death because he comes out of the grave. He is the living God. He is the way 
actually, that we are renewed. The people of God are brought back to him. And then there is just, just this last second story that is thrown in that we will finish with. So we can see that we need our perspective, our imagination renewed. We can see actually we need our faith renewed so that we can go through the discomfort of following God's. And we see that we are renewed, in fact, by the word and presence of God, by throwing ourselves onto Jesus. And we are renewed by the compassion of God's. And we get this last little story that explains how actually Syria carried on attacking all the days of, it says Jehoaz, but it's the same king, all the days of, of this king who only tapped the ground three times. And it says, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them. And he turned towards them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. Regardless, actually, of all of this sin, all of this worshipping things that are dead, worshipping things that are not the living gods, of actively and consistently ignoring the living gods, in fact, turning their backs on God. It's fascinating. It says God turned to them, which is the opposite of what they'd done. They had turned away from him. But regardless of all of that, the living God still intervenes. He still decides, actually, I'm going to deliver you again. He remembers the promises he made. He is compassionate. He is graceful. He is merciful. And he turns to face them. We need God to turn to face us. We need that renewal in our city, don't we? Perhaps even this morning you think, I need to be renewed. <laughs> I need to feel that God is turning to face me. And he does. He doesn't do it after you've laid down your idols. That's what we would hope here. Jehoaz realises the error of his ways, lays them all down. Doesn't happen. He carries on being a bad king. But God still turns to them. Still intervenes. Perhaps there are situations in life you think, God, I need you to restore this, to renew it. This is a, 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 a dead body. Please help us. Please help me. So you look at our city and think, we need, we need renewal. We need a revival. Like Colin prayed for, for France and for Paris. It's the same for us. We need to turn back to God's. And the good news is that God agrees with you. And he is compassionate towards you. That the living God, actually, he turns towards you. When he sent his son, that was him turning towards us. He has not turned his back on you, regardless of what you may feel, regardless of the, the hopes and dreams that feel delayed. He turns to you. We are to be renewed by the word and the presence of God.